Hello, this is KBOM, and I am not reading Epiphany today. So this is actually one of the cultural guides on the Epiphany website. It's the TLDR, or Too Long Didn't Read, version of the Gender in a Nutshell page at K-A-Y-E-B-O-E-S-M-E dot com slash epiphany. So one of the reasons I decided to go this route in Epiphany is because I know that screen readers are not that great with Unicode, and they can't really pronounce any of the words properly. And so this is a bit of an effort to make the accessibility a bit more even. I'm going to just start out by saying that um, despite the fact that the work uses gender-neutral pronouns, gender does exist in Epiphany. There are just more genders. Most are actually based on a concept that we don't really have in American culture. And this cultural concept is called uh, yatoma to the sabaji tvashi, hakapli to the hikipta, and yadokyoze to the exanya. The eturgy concept of yatoma is strongly related to that of the sabaji tvashi. So this document contains a little bit of information on which genders exist in each group, a primer on how gender works and stuff like naming, and how to use basic descriptive evidence to understand status and gender. If you want something longer, there is actually a text version that is slightly longer that contains some like long quotes and a bunch of tangential information. I can put that in the audio version of this, but if you tweet at me, I will know if you even want that. So... Um, follow me on Twitter at K-A-Y-E-B-O-E-S-M-E. So, uh, gender. Yetoma matters. So, people who are assigned female at birth, and I'm going to be using uh, the term AFAB, have it by default. Yetoma is most evident in the legal code that governs who has the marriage rights to stay within the maternal family during a marriage negotiation. So a woman marrying another woman becomes a complex dance of legal codes to determine who must join whose family. In addition, only um, an AFAB woman born to their family of residents can actually become a matriarch. So with that said, let's go into gender. So the Sabaji Tveshi have three genders, women, men, and jomela. The Jomela category is a legal gender status for AMAB, which is assigned male at birth, children who present any feminine manner. This can include things that Americans would consider distinct, different genders. But because a lot of these things are, con- are culturally contextual, um, it's just a Jomela category. The Sabaji Tveshi have no mechanism for legally recognizing AMAB women or AFAB men or AFAB Jomela. Because the Nwamwa run the medical schools planet-wide, though, Sabaji Tveshi doctors are actually trained in a lot of the biological bases and will actually treat people without family approval because they have sworn medical oaths to the gods. And so um, while those communities are marginalized um, because socialized medicine is the thing planet-wide. You're not going to see people being denied treatment. It's mostly um, with legal categories and um, affirming gender in marriage negotiations. I hope that that sounds coherent. 
Iturgy gender is a little bit different. So the Iturgy have four genders, men, women, Jomela, and Kaju. So the Kaju gender category is a legal status for AFAB who are not women. Kaju have yetoma against all other genders but women. They also take responsibility for a set of important religious rituals for the goddess Likura that only Kaju may perform. Kaju to the Sabaji Tveshi are actually considered uh, women just due to the way that Sabaji culture works, but they don't actually enforce or police it among the Eturjid in the same way that they police gender among the Exarginya. Jomela in Iturja are similar to Jomela in the Sabaji Tavashi territories. However, Iturji Jomela have key positions in the priesthoods of the goddess Likura and deities who transcend gender. The Jomela and Kaju of Iturja are associated with Iturji separatism, as Iturja ideologically considers itself an ideal blend of the Igzayinya and the Sabaji, as supported by their patron goddess Likura, who delights in intermingling. The Iturji, like the Sabaji, do not have a mechanism for AFAB to become men or Jomela, nor do they have one for AMAB to become women or Kaju. So now we get to a different cultural group, the Igzayinya, who have four genders, men, women, Ozkiev, and Yatakma. The Ozkiev are extremely similar to Jomela in Iturja. They are dedicated to the gods Yoriga, Kanuga, or Mikasara in a ceremony and typically retain strong relationships with those gods for life. A Yadzakma violates gender roles. The best way to describe it is to compare it to categories like gender fluid or gender queer or agender, but all at the same time with a religious dimension added on top like a cherry. So one typically files for recognition for this category um, not during childhood, unlike the um, Ozkiev category. One typically files for this with one's matriarch in Lertines, and it's celebrated with a party and a religious ceremony. Yadokyoze in marriage will be decided based on a sacred dice roll in a temple of Tsemanok. Other genders exist in Exarginya regions too. These are typically endemic to specific areas with clear sets of social roles among their communities. The Exarginya recognize transgender women, Gesev, and men, Ozev. These terms are typically used in pre-Sabaji conquest legal documents, because remember what I said about Yatoma in that you need to have some sort of mechanism for explaining how exactly um, people can be compared during a marriage negotiation. It's also in medical information and currently um, is also in political pamphlets. So otherwise, the terms are not actually commonly used. Um, There are some differences as well culturally because most transgender men live in monastic communities devoted to the god of war. Um, The post-1885 pronunciation slash spelling of that is Naresan and the pre-1885 pronunciation is Nadresan. Some participate in the worship of Mikasara instead. Ozev are trained in the art of war from a young age, usually, so they're suppressed intermittently by the Sabaji. Likewise, the Sabaji refuse to put legal Yetoma language for Gesev into Tefeshi legal codes. The treatment of both drives a lot of Exarginya into militant separatist movements. The last group I want to talk about are the Hikipta, and they recognize three genders, men, 
women and hakna. A hakna may have been assigned any gender at birth, but each is inducted into learn new gender status during prepubescence. The hikipta do not care about sabaji enforced gender laws because Enforcing those laws in the deep and middle depths of the canyons would not be scalable. Depending on the tribal area, other genders may be recognized. So now we're going to go into gender in names. So for the examples in Teveshi, I'm going to use the word karate, which means oratory in English. In the text version of this, I have a three-part Venn diagram where I have um, just a visualization of suffixes and prefixes in names for women, men, and jomela. And it's essentially the same information that's in the text. Okay, so men's names typically end in au, dvi, or au. And due to the structure of dveshi, um, in the documentation, you'll see that there are H's in parentheses before the um, ending vowel suffixes and that there is an E in parentheses in front of the constant starter suffix. And that's because um, there are specific conventions for how syllables are structured in Tveshi and the practices uh, involved in what happens when you make compound words that necessitate having those things there. So what you get for men's names are karatau, karatetvi, or karatau. Women's names typically end in angi, ar, or ti. Women's names may also begin with the prefix angi. Thus, karatangi, karatar, karateti, angi karati. Jomela often use the masculine au ending because it's etymologically unproblematic. It comes from a word that can mean either traveler or also it's a slang term used for husband, which they don't actually see as that problematic. The au masculine name ending is considered problematic in progressive circles. And the reason for that is that it's uh, the same name ending that is used to describe single bound hair which is a term that I will explain later in this section. Romela often retain birth names, but if their names are changed in the complex ancestor rituals that the name change requires, they blend masculine and feminine name traits, but not angi. There's also a special suffix that's used, ero, that Romela may take. Thus, karate or karata or karatar or karatejo, karataujar, karateti, karatauhi, karatetihau, Takeaway, you really actually don't know if somebody with the au ending is a jomela or a man, and you don't know if somebody with the ar or ti suffix is a woman or a jomela. Jomela make up about 5 to 7% of the sabaji tveshi population, but go into external to household professional fields at a higher rate than the other two genders. In any Sabaji language, nouns or adjectives are also used as names without applying a gendered suffix. The name Nita, for example, does not encode a gender at all. The suffix ach can be given to any gender. Angi, karatach, karatach, karate. You know, those kinds of things. So many people also will actually just use the root or a shortened form of the root without the ending for nickname forms of their names. Karata becomes karate or kara, for example. Hevena becomes hevene or heve. Tashranyi becomes tasha, and so on. 
Exarginia languages and Menarchi, Naragi is modeled here, are simpler. Many women have names ending in us, ta, is, or ar. Some women in cosmopolitan areas, such as Menarca, will add sabaji suffixes, or they will name family members in the sabaji style using naragi and or dveshi names. They may also use dveshi words with feminine exarginya endings, or they may add either or both dveshi and exarginya endings. Salus has the root sale. Li could also be named salta, salis, or salar. Other genders generally have names that are a noun or an adjective with a prepositional suffix, but women can also have names formed like that. Further, several normal grammatical suffixes, tis, mis, and chus, can be mistaken for honorific suffixes and naragi. Thus, gender is a little bit more ambiguous. And now this gets to gender and culture. So this is the stuff that people do. So gender is culturally encoded. An example being, if I asked you immediately to picture a lawyer in your mind, most of you would picture a man, but most of us you would picture a jumela. In many of these cultures, a family matriarch is the archer. Their strategic vision is the bow, and members of the family are their arrows. The goal of a family member is to hit the target that is set down by the family, and everybody must submit to that authority. So in Dvesha, people would code domestic politics as a feminine field and foreign politics as a more masculine field. Domestic politics and policy is seen as an extension of the household, which is run by women. Women are seen as well-suited to theoretical scientific positions, while men are seen as good engineers and applied scientists. Other genders are seen as good team leaders and managers. The medical profession, as a caveat, is gender-neutral. Men actually have mandatory military service and free passes to gymnasia where they're required to keep up by law until they reach a certain age. Women and Jomela Uzkiev take upper level command positions in the military and there's a taboo against women using weapons that are not ranged. This taboo is gradually being appropriated by the Jomela and the Uzkiev, but not by other um, third, fourth, fifth, etc. genders. Women in Jomela and Ozgiev are seen as naturally good snipers and archers. Men are actually seen as superior in the military combat that requires muscular force, and so you're going to see men more likely to be in the infantry divisions than women or Jomela or any other gender. Jomela and Ozgiev tend to work in liminal occupations such as negotiation, high-ranking diplomatic offices, trade, law, and navigation. Romela and Ozkiev are seen as a blend of masculine and feminine traits that are all extremely lucky in those industries. Other Romela and Ozkiev occupy key religious positions in the priesthoods of Lijera, Yerega, Kanduga, or Migasra. Almost all Yadzakma are priests. Dvesha, because it's ruled by the Sabaji, does not recognize Yadzakma or transgender individuals, especially transgender men, despite the Exaginya Coalition for Culturally Sensitive Regional Yeptoma laws in the Senate. One of the main points of the Exaginya Coalition is that people seeing their relatives hurt by the government just drives more families into the separatist groups. Yazakma and transgender individuals are 100% supported by their families. Many families will even bribe officials not to notice if Dveshi Yipnoma legal codes are not enforced. And this gets into what people wear. 
So women wear headdresses and Narayi women wear veils over their hair before marriage. It's taboo to touch an unmarried woman's hair, even in areas where veiling is not practiced. Women, Jomela and Ozkiev, all double bind their hair, which means that you have braids or dreadlocks that are then put into braids, buns, or upsweeps. But women are the most elaborate. High double bound means wearing double bound hair with a headdress. Only women and extremely daring or high status Jomela and Ozkiev may do this. Non-men often wear braids or dreads and simple buns as an everyday style. The marriage ritual involves shaving a woman's head in a rebirth, so a large percentage of married women choose not to grow their hair out again. A character in a later chapter, Deo, has a not-designed-to-look-natural fabric wig, and that's just one example of a wig style that is worn by that population. Men wear a variety of unbraided buns, upsweeps, or ponytails in the single-bound style. This gets back to why Jomela will be fine with using a term for a name suffix that also can mean husband, but do not want to touch the hairstyle thing. The hairstyle is something that um, culturally evolves over um, the series of the seven papers, but by the time that Salus is running around Galasu, this is definitely a thing. Like, Romela will not single bind their hair ever. Men cannot also wear headdresses. So, um, men will be mocked publicly if they do, unlike any other gender. Doctors are special, though. All doctors have shaved heads. Um, and then there are some um, classes of individuals, usually those who are working in machining or um, labor where long hair is inadvisable, who do actually have short hair, but it's tied to profession and not to gender. So men wear knee-length dresses in summer, and women's summer dresses are a lot shorter. Men cannot wear aniku, but Jomela and Ozkiev can. Women only paint their faces as part of religious rituals when it's typically patterned henna or just coating one's face with ash. Among the sabaji, yellow, green, silver, black, and gray are considered masculine colors, and women won't wear clothing using those as the main color because they view it as demeaning. Men also wear face paint in vertical or horizontal stripes and lines. So like what you actually see, and one of the things that I really can't talk about in a first-person epistolary novel is that Kara, um, as a high-status like elderly man in the progressive movement, you can bet that Kara is completely decked out with face paint um, and other things. And you can bet that many high-status men like Ara are in the same position. Romela and Uzkiev and Yatakma occasionally wear face paints, but they never wear it in lines because lines and face paints are one of the defining markers of masculinity. Romela, Uzkiev, and Yatakma wear it in dots or in circles or something like that. But... um. Lines are a thing. In Exerginya and Hikipta cultures, colors are not associated with gender, but specific sets of colors are. The sunset pattern and dawn pattern are two examples of this. They mean that a person is powerful enough that Lurwil rules over day and night, and few non-women would have the audacity to wear something like that. In addition, um, in both of these regions, there is a lot of um, henna styling done during specific rituals to specific gods. And some of that actually will involve line patterns, but the line patterns that are used in the facial henna styles are extremely different from the face paints that are worn um, in everyday men's styles. 
Yadzegma, unfortunately, are targets outside of majority Ezeginya areas because they practice those sacred violation of gender norms and clothing things. But their families and towns protect them if possible, and they're fine as long as they stay in Naya or Naraya. Um, they're also usually fine in Eturja. But also you just need to note that what I've said is just about Dvesha. Amesa has many more cultures than just the Izaginya, Sabaji, and Hikipta. The other worlds also have many cultures. So I could also talk about the Shale of Atara or the Zolyi of Lasso if I wanted. The point is really that all of these rules have deep cultural context and that this is a reason behind gender-neutral pronouns. So I hope that that was clarifying to um, some of the reasons why I've made the decisions that I've made. Um, other cultural note content does actually include one of the reasons why I settled on the specific gender into a pronoun that I did. Um, a lot of pain and angst and hair pulling, essentially. Um, but um, with that said, um, this is, I think, the first time that I have said anything in this podcast that is actually me, me and not me narrating um, epiphany me. Um, so thank you all for listening. Um, um, and if you do like Epiphany, please let your friends know about it. Um, please, uh, review it. I think that iTunes has a way to review things. Um, I don't think that Google Play does, but it's in both places and it's in a few other apps as well. So thank you for listening to this. Um, and again, visit, um, K-A-Y-E-B-O-E-S-M-E.com slash Epiphany or follow me on uh, Twitter at the same place. And I look forward to getting back to the actual podcast story next time.